continue reading then from the latter part of Luke 24 at verse 36, which takes us through to the end of the ascension. As we were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and of the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them, and he was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Amen. Our theme this evening is taking our cues from the Lord Jesus for discipleship. One of the great themes of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that of being a disciple or making disciples. Now, there are other themes, of course, that are there. Of course, we think of the kingdom of God. We think of the cross, the crucifixion. But one of those grand themes from the beginning of the Gospels to the end is, what is a disciple and how do you see disciples formed and developed and grow and mature? So discipleship is one of the great themes of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Discipleship doesn't have to be Christian. There are many instances of discipling someone. Let me speak very generically first. Anyone can be a disciple who follows a particular teacher. And you learn from that teacher or instructor. You learn from their example and their training. If you take an apprenticing course, you are being discipled by a master teacher. If you're a great violin luter and you take up the skill of learning how to craft a violin, the person you want to go to is the craftsman known as the violin luter. And you go to him and you study with him. And as you study with that individual, you are being discipled. 
you are being mentored, you are being apprenticed. It's on-the-job training. There it is. A disciple learns on the job in many ways. So thinking of the Bible, thinking of the four Gospels, it's a little more specific now, applying it to the Christian life. What is a disciple? One who follows Christ Jesus and is submissive to the Master. Shows true faith, listening to Him, hearing Him, believing Him, and obeying Him. A true disciple of Jesus has come under Christ's authority and ruled by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. So it's very different. You can be a generic on-the-job training disciple apprentice. And there are aspects of submission and obedience. But this one is very different. You give your whole life to the Master. You believe with all your soul and heart in the Lord because you have been led by the Holy Spirit. Discipleship is only that process of forming these disciples. But how does it happen? How does someone go from believing in Christ, which is of course the enabling of the Holy Spirit, to growing up and becoming more mature as a disciple, to discern right from wrong and ways of being obedient and being followers of Christ. That model of discipleship is what Jesus Christ teaches us here in Luke 24. Luke 24, of course, is a powerful chapter. It's Luke's final conclusion, and it is the bridge to Acts chapter 1. And so he combines the, the resurrection of Jesus. He recombines then the, the teaching of the ascension of Jesus. And he even prefigures the Pentecost of the coming of the Holy Spirit to the church, which will form and develop the disciples in amazing ways. So it's a wonderful bridge chapter. But in this chapter tonight, I want us to focus on this. Jesus is our model for how we today, in the power and enablement of the Spirit, go about forming disciples in the faith. In other words, we should take our cues from the Lord Jesus Christ and His example. It's when you go on stage at a great play production or some drama, there is a master playwright behind it. There is a director behind it. There are guides. They are giving you, this is the tone you should use. This is the position you should take on the stage. This is the body language you should use on the stage. They are mentoring, guiding. They are giving you the cues. What Jesus is doing here in the sense is, He is giving us the cues for generations. Now do it like this, and the blessing of God's Spirit will be with you. And so in the words of Matthew 11, verse 29, take up my yoke upon you. What does he say next? Learn from me. Learn from Jesus how he forms his disciples. Learn from Jesus how he sees disciples be formed and developed and mature and grow in grace. 
There's a great German, John Toller, who was greatly influential, and Luther said, ever looking to the admirable model of the divine humanity of Jesus Christ, we learn from him. Three things in, in this great passage on the road to Emmaus and beyond. Number one, discipleship. It takes place in conversation while we walk. Two, discipleship takes place at a village table. Number three, discipleship must issue in an overflowing heart. If the overflowing heart doesn't take place, discipleship is stunted. It does not develop properly. It does not grow or mature. So look at these three sections. Look at verse 13 to 27, which is a very long section. You know the story. There are two travelers on the road. I don't need to repeat it all. They're walking and they're talking along. They're having a great conversation. They are two disciples and they're exchanging news and ideas of what has taken place in Jerusalem. And they are joined by a third traveler who seems mysterious to them at first because they've been specially blinded to the reality of who this third traveler is. But there they are, the two travelers walking along. The third traveler comes and meets them. And what you see is this. Pull back the curtain and look at it. What is taking place? Analyze it. The master is going to disciple these two disciples. The master is going to cause them and be blessing to them through the means of a conversation and an exchange that will lead to their personal growth. And of course, the Spirit is at work in it all. It's the great mystery of the Spirit of God blessing this ordinary situation. Now these two men are confused. They're puzzled and they're disappointed. Think of that. You are going to engage in conversations with Christians who are confused. Now, I can't tell you what their confusion is, but they will be confused about a whole series of things. They will be dazed in a sense, almost becoming frozen, not able to proceed. They will lack understanding and knowledge. They're confused. Two travelers who are confused. And the third traveler comes into the equation. And he accepts their honesty. He accepts their honesty of their confusion and their puzzlement and their bewilderment. And he asks them three questions. He throws questions at them. So he tries to engage them. Now, brothers and sisters, you know I've preached again on some of this before on conversations of Jesus. This is another one. Conversations are key to forcing people to grow up and to grow as disciples. And Jesus bombards them. He throws three questions at them in a row. What are you talking about? I'd like to tune in on it. No, he doesn't need hearing aids. He's not poor of hearing. The question is, I want to know about your conversations. I want to become involved with it. 
Then he goes on to the next question. Oh, so, so tell me now your version. Put it back to me. What happened in Jerusalem recently, in these last few days? I want to hear it from you. Remember what John Towler said. Learn from Jesus. Learn from the Master as he discipled. He engaged them with the question, what are you talking about? Tell it back to me now. And then the third question comes much later in the text. You'll see it down in verse 26. It is actually a rebuking question. Let me paraphrase it a little bit loosely for you. Did you know that the Scripture said Jesus had to suffer and die? And here are some disciples. One is named and the other one isn't named. Cleopas and the other one who have spent some period of time with Jesus, whether or not it was three years, it's subject to speculation, but a lengthy period of time that they are somewhat connected to the outer circle or the inner circles around the apostles. And Jesus says to them, I've got a Bible question for you now. How well do you know your Bible? Are there any texts in the Old Testament that said there was going to come one called the Messiah who would suffer and die and enter into glory? You heard it this morning, didn't you? If you were here this morning, you heard about the enthronement of Christ again. References to that. What Jesus is doing, he is engaging he is pulling and forcing them to tell back everything in their own words they knew. And then he is forcing them to the scriptures. What is discipleship? It is forcing a disciple of Jesus to find the answers for their confusion, for their lack of clarity, for their lack of understanding in the Word of God. That's what Jesus is doing. And he's forcing them back. So he keeps the conversation going. He engages them. He personalizes it. And he reveals their thoughts and their hearts. And he is opening up the Scriptures. Now, Jesus goes on and he says, well, I've got some Scriptures to show and to share with you. And you see it there. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them to the Scriptures. Now, you will notice Luke is a reporter giving you the summary. And what you would like to hear right here is, could you give us a list of the ten verses that you read, Jesus? And then we could jot it down and keep it there. He doesn't do that, does he? He just says, now, I took you to the Scriptures. Now, where would you take someone in the Bible if you were saying, give me the Old Testament Bible and point to me in the Old Testament where it talks about the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where would you start? Maybe you'd start with Isaiah 53. The righteous lamb became a substitute transgressor. 
And you might begin there. But what Jesus was doing was taking them to the Word. Take your cue from the Master. Take your cue in discipling the saints. Take your cue in discipling the unbeliever and leading them to Christ by pointing them to their confusion, their lack of understanding, and sending them to the truth of the Lord Jesus. And as you do that, you respect honestly their confusion. You, you see if there's a sense of the seeking of spiritual things. Christ did not dismiss them. He received them. But he did not back away from turning them to the answers and to the truth. He opened up the Word of God. One of my heroes of the faith has been Francis Schaeffer. And when I look at this passage, I see the master taking his cues from the master. Schaefer was a master evangelist in conversation. He was a master discipler in Labrie in Switzerland and wherever he went, whether it was a Cambridge University campus, whether it was Oxford, whether it was at Harvard, he could just be in conversation with people and he could listen to their confusion. He could hear their misunderstanding and he would simply as an evangelist of the Lord, as the master himself, take them back to the Word of God and say, now what does the Scripture say? Let me tell you what the Scripture says. That's what Jesus is doing. Brothers and sisters, we are not all called to necessarily preach. But as far as I'm aware, we are all called to have conversations. And conversations, brothers and sisters and friends, are great turning points in discipleship. Listen with eagerness to those who have confusion. Be honest with them. Seek them out. Listen to them. Point them to the Word of God. And please remember as you're discipling that it's not about you. The Holy Spirit is at work. The great mystery of the Spirit of God is at work. And what is the Spirit doing on this? He is going to take the veil off their eyes. He is going to open their hearts. He is going to open their eyes. And they're going to say, this is the risen, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the confusion is gone. And the misunderstanding is gone. And they will see it, and it's going to come. But the Spirit will work. Conversations are discipleship points. It's not always about the formal work of ministry. It's often about the informal points of Christian ministry that lead to discipleship. Now it goes from the conversation along the road. And they're walking along the road because they want to answer this and get out and get some answers. But it moves to a village. They finally come to Emmaus and they say to him, won't you stay with us? And verse 28 takes the new scene in the play here if you're looking at it in Acts. It's Act 2. 
So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted, they, uh, he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. So he went in to stay with them, and he was at the table. So they go into the village of Emmaus. We don't know the house. It's not important. And there they are sitting at the table. Just remember, it's Middle Eastern standards. Not to get used to it. No chairs. Cushions. Cushions on the floor. More Japanese style. There they are sitting on the floor, on their cushions, around a table. So it's not quite Leonardo da Vinci, you know, the Last Supper. It's uh, a bit nice Italian romantic, but anyhow, it's not quite that. And there they're at this low table again, and they're eating. Now let's put it back again. Take the cue from the Master. Where does discipleship of the saints take place? Oh, it takes place in the church, yes. But where is it taking place? It's taking place in a village house while they're eating probably fat, flat bread. And if they really got some money, they're probably having some nice lamb carcass or goat meat beside it. And as they eat their goat, and as they have their flat bread, they're being discipled. Now, what is the secret, do you think, behind Alpha? And you might say, well, I'm really reformed. I've got it all figured out. It's a joke. Well, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. The secret to Alpha is one thing. It's a meal every week where you take unbelievers and you bring them into your house where they usually don't get in to see Christians living in a house. And they meet these Christians living in their house, sitting around a table, eating and drinking, talking about the Bible, praying, and listening to someone talk about the Bible. You can learn from that because you can learn from the master. Discipleship is taking place at the table. And at that table, the spirit is at work and their blindness is removed. And they come to conviction. They come to see who Christ is. But the Spirit uses means. He uses the means of the Word that has just been read. He uses the means of the sign of the bread at the table. He uses that situation and He works through it and He brings blessing. And they come to conviction and their hearts are opened and they're put on fire and they can run out of there and say, Eureka, we've now understand it. This is the Savior who suffered and died and is alive and it's their Archimedes moment. And it happened at a table in a village in a house. 
Brothers and sisters, where does Christian discipleship begin? It begins in the home. It begins at the table. It begins at the bedside. It begins on the table. It begins on the table. As it moves to the bed, it, it begins on the road. Walking on the road, in the car. That is discipleship, isn't it? It's the informal. It's not always the formalized text in setting of pew pulpit. Jesus is the master discipler. He is in the synagogue. But he is also in the village home. And as they partake of that meat and of that bread, it is the discipling moment. It is the seminary at the kitchen table. And that table is a theological place of exchange and the work of the Spirit and the discipling of the people and their growth. Take your cue from the Master. Take your cue of the truth of the Word by the Spirit in the ordinary of life. And the engagement of a home and the overflow of that home for Christian discipleship can never be underestimated as a blessing for the kingdom of God. So discipleship in conversation while walking, discipleship at a village table, but discipleship will overflow and it will produce yearning for deeper fellowship and intimacy with fellow Christians, and it will overflow in engagement of witness and proclamation and profession. And so that leads you to the third scene here in that chapter, in this first, uh, second pericope, verses 32 to verse 35. As we come to Act 3 here in this great scene, what you see is this. They get up from the table, and it's perhaps getting very late now. And it's perhaps not even a, a, a good time to be out in the open, out in the dark, running through to get back about seven miles, maybe 11 kilometers or so, back into Jerusalem. But they don't care. They're going to walk it back quickly, run it back, because there's an overflow that has come in their discipling. They have a new enthusiasm. They want to have fellowship with other Christians. And a mark of a disciple that is growing and increasing in their love of Christ is that they want to express that love with other like-minded people. They want to get with them. They want to be with them. They want to exchange with them. They want to have fellowship with them. So discipleship, always that's growing and developing, will overflow in two directions. Number one, it will yearn to meet fellow believers. It will seek them out. It will run after them. It will go for them. It will seek them out and be compelled to meet with them. And so they return early 
that evening or late that evening sometime to seek out the other disciples. Wise old Matthew Henry said it, when Christ has been shown to you as a disciple, one seeks fellowship with those who are also his disciples, who love him, and you want to compare your experiences and to tell others with them. I've got a story to tell you. Here's my story. What's your story? I would like to hear your story. Will you, will you tell me a little bit about it? Where'd you come from? How did you come to Christ? What was your church background? Did you have any church? Oh, you, you had no church background whatsoever. Well, what was the, the point that brought you to a church? What do you mean you were raised in this unbelieving pagan religion? What do you mean to me to say to me that your father and mother were atheists? But you're not an atheist. How did you come to that? You see, everyone has a story in the kingdom. And that's exactly what they begin to do. They run because they want to have fellowship. Disciples want other disciples. They want to be in their fellowship, their, their association. They want to be in their presence. And so that's exactly what you see them doing. And so they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? And they rose that hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathering together, and they said, the Lord has risen. Now here's the confession. They're no longer confused, are they? Have you noticed the change of these disciples? It's remarkable. They were confused. They were downhearted. They were joyless. But now they are knowledgeable. They are clear-headed. They have got conviction. They know who they are in Jesus Christ. There is clarity. And they want to meet others of that same thing. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, the sign of your health will be seeking out, finding those of the faith community of the risen, ascended Lord Jesus Christ. You will yearn for it. You will want it. You will not be satisfied until you find his people. The second thing that you see about them is the overflow of telling. The Lord opened their mouths and they started to talk. He doesn't say they gave sermons. You'll never hear about these two probably again, Cleopas probably, not likely anyhow. Some conjectures on that, but probably not. But you hear their mouths are opened up, and they start talking, and they begin to explain what they have experienced. Now, it's more than an experience. It's an experience that is set alongside the truth of Scripture. Because all experience 
must accord with the word of God. There is a very careful trajectory here. Our experiences must be judged by the angle and the authority of the word. And so you see them sharing their experience, which is according to the word. They see the two coming together. And so it is life impacting. Confusion leads to conviction, leads to compulsion to tell. You cannot be a disciple and become healthy if you don't find fellowship. You cannot be a healthy, growing, maturing disciple if you're not willing to start to speak and talk of your faith. It does not mean you're all going to become a bunch of extroverts on the A personality form, but it does mean that you are known by the lips and the words that you speak out from your lips. This is my Savior. This is my story. Praise be to God for what he has done. Take your cues from the Master. He is the disciple. Let us pray.